0: Hi, and welcome to Decoding AQ, helping you to learn the tools, mindsets, and actions to thrive in an ever-changing world. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Decoding AQ. I have a very special guest with me here today. I have Antonio Nito Rodriguez. Hi, Ross, nice to be here with you. I love what you're doing, so a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. excited when I originally reached out it was because of the connections through thinkers 50 and Marshall Goldsmith's uh, 100 so I mean this is a, a something I've been looking forward to a conversation and um, I'll cover a bit of your background but one of the things that intrigued me most Antonio when I read it was a world champion in project management how do you get to be a world champion in project management tell me about that.
1: Yeah, Ross, well, there is no World Cup on, on project management. So what I it's, it's purely marketing. I, I, I think That's one why. of the challenges I face in my career is as soon as you talk project management, it becomes very tactical thing. Oh, what mm-hmm. a boring topic. So I worked with some people on branding and say, well, call yourself world champion. Um, I guess, yeah, there is uh, quite some achievements in, in what I've done. But uh, yeah, it's, it's purely marketing.
0: I love it. And uh, as my background is brand and marketing, you know, yeah. it's about creating those opportunities for conversations. Exactly. And I think when you put yourself out there in that way, the authenticity to back it up, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, recognized by Thinkers as 50, as I said before, but it, the award of ideas into practice. Mm-hmm. So shifting from theory and concept and academic into where the rubber hits the road, into the traction. And you're also ranked uh, number 17 in the Global Gurus uh, Top 30 list mm-hmm. and authored many books. Uh, I think one a couple of years ago, uh, Lead Successful Projects. So I want to dig into that a little bit as well. But essentially, your work focuses on advising senior leaders to lead transformational change. So I guess you couldn't be busier than right now, you know, if senior leaders had a time in history to lead transformational change it's now so tell me how did you get into that how did you get into change and working with leaders
1: well uh yeah a bit of uh, by chance or by by a bad experience uh, ross i spent 10 years in a big consulting firm uh since i started as a junior uh they sent me to work in projects my first task in a big uh, sap implementation project this is 1994, I think, for ExxonMobil. My first task that the project manager gave me was, can you get coffee for the team? And I said, oh my God. I like to be the one of these guys. I want to be a project leader. So, and then I grew, I grew, I grew. I became almost partner and and, and I work all the time in projects. I, I realized how difficult it is to, to get things done, not just one project, but then I realized companies have 500 projects or 800 projects. So how the hell can you do 800 if one is already a mess. So I just was very curious about this topic and, and it was my topic to become partner. Uh, my pitch was let's build project advisory services and everybody needs that leaders comp. And, and they said, well, nice topic. We love your passion. You clearly know about the topic, but it's a tactical topic. We, we don't like it. It's It's just very tactical. We cannot charge for giving projects. So you're fired. And and I, it was a shock. I was like, I'm so passionate. I, I'm convinced everybody needs that, but senior leaders don't see the value. And that was where I found my purpose to to work and dedicate all my efforts on learning, understanding, sharing, uh, and connecting projects to change and change to strategy and and change to people. and And that's how I've been
0: spending 25 years of my career it's amazing isn't it the different perceptions people have you know our life is a endless journey of projects a team a company all of these things you know they're made up of projects and these connections cognitively through tactical to strategic and Mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine now not thinking the structure of projects as being a strategic operation. And I I think the link now to then shifting that for transformational change, both, you know, reacting as well as making it happen, designing it from the beginning rather than so you're preempting certain things to invoke a change that's coming. What are some of the challenges that you've seen in the last, you know, year or 18 months of radical shift in terms of where projects and more strategic project management has come to play and has gone well for companies. Can you give me a few sort of stories or examples about that?
1: Sure, sure, Ross. And and I think we've, despite the the terrible uh, last year that many people uh, suffer, there is some learnings. and, And I think in the world of projects, there's very, very good learnings. Um, there is in generally, I think what I've seen in the last eight months is 18 months is something that I've been trying to predict for years is focus, prioritization, know what are the top priorities in your company. Don't have 800 projects transformation. That doesn't work. Choose one or two or three. And thanks to the crisis, companies pro- did extreme prioritization. They drop 80% to 90% of the projects. And they say, what do we need to survive? What do we need to just get in life? and everybody went along everybody didn't complain that we were stopping projects that we were putting the best people in the projects that matter most and including senior executive dedicating not just one hour per month on a project to sponsor but days during the week to to sponsor projects so i think from a what can we do different going forward is, is keep that extreme prioritization. Keep the rest, the best people in your projects and as executives, spend time. Spend time on them and take decisions with them. Uh, bring resources so that that work. We've seen that. The other big learning Ross, is that has challenged every aspect of project management is the way the COVID vaccine was developed. Uh, it was impossible. Nobody, nobody would think before COVID that you could do it in less than 10 years. It happened in 10 months. So there were many factors that took place to make this happen. So if a vaccine can be developed in 10 months, which is a 10th of what normally would take, we can change anything we want in the world in a 10th of the time we think. This is about poverty. This is about sustainability. We know we have the formula. Now the formula is clear. Let's make it happen. And we will make a much better world. You can make better organizations. You can succeed
0: with your transformation. It's there. I don't need to tell it. It's there. And I think what you've hit on there, because one of the concepts that you've uh, been pioneering and things is the hierarchy of purpose and this prioritization. And it's it's very hard to do, right, to prioritize. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the origin of decide is to cut off. What do we say no to? And one of the challenges when we have all of these projects and we have all of these initiatives, um, how do we do that? How do we prioritize? And something like COVID coming along gave us that opportunity to really focus and focus in so many areas across so many industries to just show us what is possible. As you say, 10xing the kind of results and outcome in speed or impact or reach. Now, there's many of these prioritizations that people are passionate about. You talked about your passionate prioritization of project management being the thing. There's another pending one that potentially is a larger challenge than COVID in terms of climate. Mm -hmm. And for many people who are really passionate about it, there's countless, you know, you only have to flick on to Netflix and see how on the edge this is. When will this become a prioritisation that it can then rally that same kind of radical transformations that we've seen with COVID in a climate? Will it need another crisis or can you think of a better way in that we can think about prioritising the most essential needs for organisations to operate in?
1: Mm, I, I I love this topic and I, I, I'm, I'm not an expert, but I, I'm learning a lot. And I know you are very, uh, very close and passionate about this topic too, and, and what you do doing with your organization. So I think, unfortunately, I, I, I think this is what I think human beings um, should learn is that unless there's a huge crisis, and, and we've seen how many million people uh, we lost with COVID. We you don't take action. So um, I, I would love that we can change that. I, I just don't know. I think maybe you know. Uh, maybe you have a view, but uh, there is good intent. There's the COP26 now in the UK okay. in, in Scotland in November. There is a lot of people behind this. Uh, the Bill Gates and 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 and. Um, and many people, and and what I think is different in this case is that the new generations is driving. So there is very few people who have created more awareness um, around sustainability than kids. Greta, Greta has done more yeah. than the whole European Union, the more than the US. Uh, Greta, she's a kid, she's 18. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to listen. I, I recently gave a keynote around what can we learn from kids. Boyden, the guy in the Netherlands, 16 year olds, clean the ocean. He didn't want to clean his swimming pool. He wanted to clean the ocean. So I think my, for me, it's clear the future is on the kids. We need to learn, let the kids drive. My expectations of current leaders in the world to change the world is almost zero, very few impact. The kids, if you give them voice, if you give them tools, if they, if you support them, they are going to drive change. So it's a bit radical, but I'm tired of waiting of this crisis to change. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe let's try something different. Let's just build on the kids, let them drive, let Greta and and Boyden and all these kids tell us where we need to put the money, where we need to go.
0: And uh, maybe it works. I, I like that, Antonio, and this this idea Of human society needing radical pain, you know, before we go and do something, right? The whole healthcare service is a sick care service, right? We wait till we're ill. And then we say, please fix me. We don't do the things that we know we should be doing in order not to get ill. And I think that's a challenge. When we come back to our individual lives, Mm -hmm. to teams and to organizations, we might know what we need to do, but we never necessarily do it until it's you know, a really burning issue. I want to unpick a little bit of this thought of what is it that makes children so capable of envisaging different futures and so capable of changing mindsets or societies of things? You mentioned two very strong people there that have done it, that we can learn from, that it can be almost a pincer movement. So it's not just, okay, let the children do it, but how the ones that are currently in situ and in place of decision making and of all, you know, authority of budgets and where things are focused on, how can we help them be more like the children in their thinking? Don't mm-hmm. clean my swimming pool, but clean the ocean. How yeah. can we do that? What, what is it inside children that lights your smile and that you go, ah, that's where it should be? What are the things inside there that we can learn from?
1: well i i I created a formula when i was analyzing all these kids and amazing projects there's amazing brazilian and and and, um and uh, i call it inspire and each letter has something but it's just in a nutshell it's, it's having that bigger vision it's not getting stuck in the swimming pool but the ocean and i think we are very pragmatic the older you get very pragmatic and 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 we need to make it work so let's let's keep it the scope very narrow and these kids don't care and so mm-hmm. it's very inspirational it's very purpose driven it's not about them making money i don't think uh it, it's about that it's about creating a, a bigger better world and that's inspiring when you have a higher purpose is where people get excited and motivated and the, the other thing i think it it, it the one thing with United Nations sustainability goals is that we all love them but we don't have a clue how to contribute to make successful transformation successful projects you need to be able to first understand touch your heart and then give me the tools how can I contribute if you don't do that then nothing will happen so how can we connect so that anybody can put a little bit of their there and this is what I miss often in transformation is Yes, we like the direction. It makes sense. It's going to make us better. But how me can I contribute? How can I be recognized? How can I play a space and go home and tell to my family, I'm working on this amazing project. And that misses many times. And and it's a very important thing. And kids make it so simple that, yeah, it makes sense. Everybody, we want all the kids to help. Not just... uh, selected people but everyone so I would say that's a big difference uh, where people can connect and contribute
0: I think maybe the structures we've put around ourselves um, were for a particular function to create value stakeholder value you know shareholder value and often to control and to protect things. You know, we, we have this whole system about, you know, protecting trademarks, IP, competitive advantage, all of these things that almost is counterintuitive to collaboration and innovation. And what I've observed is with adults and as we get older, we tend to get stuck in the mud of the how. So that limits our imagination and our thinking, mm-hmm. whereas the children are naive to the how. <laughs> they just <laughs> see what needs to be done and hope that the how shows up. And equally, as you pointed out, this opportunity that anyone can contribute, but the way in which you can contribute becomes real to you and becomes easy to you to get started rather than that entire complexity that we think we need to have every step mapped out, but yet it will be uncovered as we go. So I'm interested in terms of when you're designing projects that are in this world of uncertainty, in this world where things change on a dime, yeah. where it's so volatile. How have you know? How can we be successful in our projects when we're almost doing it in this sea and world of continual and accelerated change? What are some of the practical things that we can do in that sort of environment, Antonio?
1: Well, Ross, I think your organization is a leading uh, in this space, so I hope I can, uh, I'll, I'll give my point of view, but I know you're doing a lot on on, on this, on adaptability. I, I think, yeah, I, I, I think there is different uh, areas I'm working. I think. Project management, for example, every research that you see, McKinsey, Bain, and PMI, they say seventy percent of projects fail. And for me, that's unacceptable. That's because mm. project management has not evolved. We cannot it's ridiculous, isn't it?
0: You it know you wouldn't bet on a project if <laughs> no. you know seventy percent was gonna fail. Would you put your bet exactly. on
1: that? Your resources? I exactly. certainly wouldn't. It's it's yeah. terrible. So put your money in in the stock market in <laughs> Uh, you might get a bit better return than doing a project that you almost know that it's going to fail. So this is something that upsets me really, really a lot. And, and it's something that I'm trying to do with reinventing project management with this book in Harvard Business Review. Is We need to do things different. These methods are great, but these are maybe 40 years old. And agile is great, too, but let's put them together. It's not agile or traditionalist. All of these plus more with agility yeah. adaptability is continuous improvement is exponential growth is innovation ideation so i believe that we have to build the right methodology or a tool set that companies don't have they have one element they have a hammer they have a screwdriver but when you fix problems at home you have a whole set of tools and and that's what we're missing and i think that's what we need to put the attention let's build competencies around all these great technologies and techniques and help organizations and leaders to to address change better and take opportunity. The other big thing I I think from my perspective, I'm quite critical with projects is that we used to be, um, we thought that by documenting everything, you get better control. So uh, if I come to a meeting around my project, I'll bring you 200 pages. And you think, well, you are in control because you have 200 pages about your project. And we know that's not true. You can have one page and you can be really on top of your project. So it's about value. It's for me project management needs to focus, move from deliverables and artifacts, who can call something an artifact? This is what methodologies today say, who knows what an artifact to value impact. And we need to focus when you have a focus on how can we create impact quickly, you move away from the, ta- the tactical, you move away from the concrete things and, and you can be much more agile when you focus and you can adapt when you have a focus on benefits, on impact, on value creation. And that's where I'm trying to push leaders to think about and, and and the methodologies around it too.
0: And I think from speaking about our organization, it's, it's a tough gig to do that. You know, this systems that we have in place that generally are looking at activities, yes. right? And not necessarily the outcome and result because mm. activities have more control of whether we can do it or not. Oh, yeah. I did that activity. Well done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Antonio, you said, did I do that activity? I did it. The reason I was doing the activity was for this result, but I don't want to be responsible for whether I get the result or not. I want to be responsible for whether I ticked, you know, what I said I was going to do. And so to be brave enough and vulnerable enough that the result and outcome is what really matters, not the activity, is hard. It's really, really hard, even in an entrepreneurial business where we can make our own decisions and we you know, can champion that. We haven't got this playbook of, of debt, of process or debt of technical ways we were doing things. And we're reinventing our operating system for the change to be more about outcome and result. And I think that's what entrepreneurs have done very well throughout history is that they get the resultant value from the outcome, the noise and activity from just creating stuff to say, here's my page 198 and my 200 report. Look. Mm, So I, I think this shift that you talk about of particularly around transformational change, it's so ingrained of the operating systems we have of how leaders have been valuable and successful so far. To break that connection is mm-hmm. a deep rooted one, and uh, what I've observed and seen is the odd maverick, the odd person that can show a new way of doing mm-hmm. something that can ripple out, you know that's where all change comes from, you know the unreasonable person yeah. you know to see something yeah. that they want to want to shift and I, I want to dig in a little bit to this challenge between theory and you've got A lot of history in academic and writing Mm -hmm. and then the real world, you know, of businesses, of lives, of jobs and roles. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: How can we accelerate and close that gap between theories and ideas and experiments and then getting them going inside organizations? What are the the tips or things that you can share with us to try and do more of that? Because I think there's a huge opportunity for us if we can do it.
1: Sure, and maybe just quickly going back on what you were saying because it resonated too much about and that kind of focus and empowering on getting results. I I often tell uh, the project communities that you it's like you're running a football team. Uh, and you don't care about results. You're not accountable of the results of the team. Or you have an uh, uh, an orchestra and you have all the elements there, every tick has been there, but they don't play well. So I think this is what I, I really resonates to me on on what you were talking. Just going backward on on that topic, we need to be able to be accountable of the results. If you're leading a football team, or it's about the results. Is uh, yeah, you might change how you play, you might change the player, but it's about the results and so far, for for many years, we didn't care about the results, and it's time to time to take accountability on that too. But on the academic part, I think I I I just amazed how many, and this is my, my personal perspective, but how many of the academic concepts don't work in reality? I just amazed that there uh, there are very few, at least in the world where I I work. It's it's, it's just okay, they give you ideas, but uh, I think it's up to leaders to connect the dots and make them work. You cannot take academic concepts and apply them by the book that will never work. And I think we've been doing that uh, often. You hear academics, proposing things that don't work. And I give you a concrete example in in project management or prioritization of projects. They say, well, each project needs to have a business case and and you wait every week. Yeah, yeah, in theory, it makes sense. You will measure things together, but in practice, it's impossible. If you have 800 projects, it would take you eight years just to calculate business cases. So we need something more pragmatic. So I would recommend, yeah, look at academic because there is, is for search of ideas. But the only person who can make something work is you, your team, coaching like you do uh, to get people learn and, and apply it themselves. So I think this is something that we need to change. And I hope people listen to yeah, be courageous enough to try their own things, develop their own methods uh, and approaches and guidelines and values and principles, because that's what, in the end, really makes the difference
0: and one of the things I've again you know just speaking from my own experience the challenges of when we talk about results and outcomes knowing which ones are the right ones to be measuring yeah. right so we can go oh yeah that's easy to measure so I'll i want to be measured by yeah. that one yeah. Yeah. whereas you know I, I forget who said it but the You know, not all things that can be counted count, (laughs) not all uh, and the opposite, whichever that is. And I think one of the real issues many businesses face is in doing the projects, in assessing and prioritizing and looking for outcomes and results is when it's unknown, when we're imagining things, when we, you know, want to step away from maybe the traditional things that have been counted as the outcome of result, you know, finance or a promotion or sales or reach or these things to think more holistically okay. about the result. What's the result of the effect on the planet, on next mm. generations, on animals, on all of these things? And for me, that stayed for many years in this silo of, you know, social responsibility. And yeah. after we've done some stuff, then we'll go and repair what we've messed up rather than thinking, no, doing it right in the first place is the best way of running things. And so I, I, I'm interested when you think about prioritizing yourself, You know, we reached out, you must have countless opportunities to do interviews, talks, podcasts, all sorts of things. How do people really prioritize what they do and spend their time on? And what is the best way that, you know, maybe how do you do it? Is it about your values or mindset or curiosity? How do you prioritize your time? And then what can we learn from that to scale up to teams and organizations that might be really effective?
1: It's a, Yeah, it's a great question. and. Uh, I'm not a guru or maybe the best person on, on talking about this topic because I get very easily distracted and I love like uh, you contact me and yes, I love it. I love what you're doing. Let's chat. Uh, So it distracts you a bit, but then it it leads to something else. So, but my whole uh, kind of uh, philosophy is that uh, people talk about their passion. What I found for me, what's more important is your purpose. So, Purpose helps, uh, it it gives you a broader uh, um, scope of what you can do. Um, and, And I'm surprised very few people talk about purpose. Finding your purpose is much stronger than just finding your passion. Passion can be more a hobby, and I think it's important, but your purpose is like you have a mission. My mission was. I want to understand projects. I want to make sure that senior leaders understand and they have a tool to, 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 to make their dreams a reality, to make a better world. So for me, what drives my agenda and my time is how activities that will help me to push my purpose. And talking to you, uh, for sure, I will learn something and will connect and you never know. So it, it tells me a lot when it doesn't meet my purpose, I just don't do it. Uh, Mm. If it's part of that vision and connection and sharing that um, uh, higher uh, intention for a better world, I I love it. So I would recommend for people to find, yeah, passion is important, but what's your purpose? It can be a small purpose. You can just uh, provide to your family, but that's strong. That helps you already to prioritize. Mm. If it doesn't provide to your family, then you know that just try not to do it. Um, And the other thing I think is important is, is... Um, Be ready to stop things. I think, like any organization, we are very um, difficult in stopping things. You put an emotional content into everything we do, and it's hard to say, well, I failed. Let's stop it. Let's be radical. And I think that personally, also by uh, organizational, we don't manage to stop things and say, uh, is not the right time. I need to prioritize on something else. If you say yes to everything, that's another uh, a killer. So be, be able to say, wait, uh, for the next two, three weeks, I, I'm impo- I cannot work on that. And I'll come back to you later on. So parking things, stopping things, um, it's very, very important for me at least to achieve what I want. Um, um, but for me, purpose in your own life, it has made everything quite easier uh, mm-hmm. for my time to be, uh, yeah, more effective or, or or better
0: use. And we're, you know, we're more than just these machines to be effective, as you said. Yeah. You know, the the purpose give us gives us this playground to be curious, to be open minded, yeah. to yes. to let opportunity show up in alignment and flow. Yeah, without us being completely distracted through many things, Um, but we've got our lane. And if our lane is our, you know, our purpose, that gives us that freedom to go and explore and go and create. And I like like that idea. I think that, again, certainly resonates with me, Antonio, Mm -hmm. to think of it in that way. And, you know, the ability to say no is an adaption for us, because I was certainly brought up that no was something that was rude.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it was.
0: It was a bad thing. And, you know, when you go through, you know, growing up, no was something almost like being told off. You You go through the phase where, you know, as a parent, all you end up saying is no all the time. And so how much of that sticks with us to be afraid to say no? When we've started a project and we're vested in it, you know, we've got this sunk cost fallacy of an idea or a project or something that's been going Mm -hmm. to think that no is a rude thing or a bad thing. And failure only happens when we, you know, give up after many times. And it's this balance between grit, you know, of passion and perseverance and being able to say, no, I'm going to stop and turn around. And I remember a great book. uh, It was a Seth Godin one and it was called The Dip. And mm-hmm. it was the difference between a cul-de-sac and a dip that you do come out at the other end. And only hindsight tells you the difference, right? Yeah. Like those yeah. things. And so yeah. I, I'm, I'm just fascinated by the human behavior and the neuroscience of how we make decisions mm-hmm. and how we can shift them and give ourselves permission to think differently tomorrow. So I might have said yes today to something, mm-hmm. but saying no tomorrow, is that a... oh. I feel bad about it. I don't want to do. I don't want to say to Antonio, oh, I said we'd follow up and call and I don't want to do it anymore. Do I am I a bad person? Or I started that project. To reframe that and rethink and get good and elegant and graceful at saying no. Mm And I think that to me is one of the greatest opportunities for us in change and adaption, is to be able to change our relationship with no um and that that's seen as just a a beautiful thing to be doing rather than this negative you know it it ends up with a um you know red face and a horrible horrible sense i wonder what your thoughts are on that i love
1: it i i I was a big uh um yeah prisoner of that uh, feeling of saying no and uh, and um and yeah, like it's exactly like you, uh, Ross, and and then uh, you do know because you're afraid that people will not like you and mm-hmm. that you will upset. And if I knew that, I, I would have used the no much more. And and I, you realize, I think you realize that people appreciate that, I appreciate mm-hmm. when you say, "Listen, I'm too busy. I, I I'll, I'll take care." But come back to me in a month and i think this is what people are looking honesty and and not just saying yes for yes. but it makes you stronger i think i realized that even to your boss you can say boss listen it's not the right time or better do it so i think we also need to be ready to uh, to confront uh, leaders and and ceos and say listen the way this changes to the project we can do that but we're just going to screw the whole uh, project, so up to you. But I cannot do that. I recommend not to do it. So I think learning to speed up and learn to be nice, like you put it, nicely confrontational, is such an important skill uh, that we we're born with. That no, never say no. And I totally agree with what you said. It's, it's, it 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 your life.
0: Yeah, change it. And in improv, you know, we're taught yes and. You know, to accept something, say yes and add an and and i yeah. i think some of these you know mental paradoxes that we live in of mm-hmm. this complexity of being able to choose when to apply a thought or a behavior mm-hmm. you know that because we oh yes no doesn't mean we say no every time Makes just sense. because we do yes and doesn't mean to say we do it every time and for me this adaptability intelligence is to continually reflect and evaluate circumstance and new information and be able to make an informed choice and decision of what to do next and so that yeah. we can go into uncertainty with a smile rather than trepidation rather than fear and because mm. the more we live and the more we go forward the more uncertainty there's going to be um, yes. especially in an exponential world so getting comfortable with that i think is a another very valuable skill, you know, we talk about resilience and the ability to bounce back and all, all mm-hmm. of these things. In re- reality, this sort of movement that we all have to navigate change mm-hmm. is one that we've got to rapidly get good at, you mm-hmm. know, and reimagine uh, those things. If um, people want to learn more about your work, all of the different books that you've written, all of your work, if someone wanted to start to get to understand a little bit more of your thinking and some of your work, what would which one would you recommend first? Where should they start, uh, and why?
1: Well, um, and let me go back again with what you're oh. saying uh, because I just you it's just you're connecting very well with what I think. I, 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 I about getting used to change is such an urgency. I think that uh, people who were used to change. Um, a few years ago, maybe it would be 10% of the population, maybe 5%. And also in organizations and you, most of the people have been working on, on, on a structured uh, uh, way uh, um, with, uh, with job descriptions. I, mm-hmm. I claim that job descriptions are, are dead and job descriptions gives you a structure. It gives you perspective. It's like a floor that you slowly and suddenly that's gone. So I'm very worried that 90% of the workers they are not prepared for change. And our human being, by nature, we need uh, security to perform. And now you're removing the security and safety to ask us to perform. So I love what you're talking. Uh, I I just couldn't agree more that if there's something we need to teach people is to be able to live in uncertainty and to know that you have a project today that will last six months and we don't know what's going to happen in six months, but there will be something for you. And I think this is where I, I am, I'm, I'm just trying to um, provide some guidance on, on these two people that, yeah, it's not going to be easy. It's one of the biggest, I think one of the biggest changes in human behavior for, centuries that we're experiencing right now and and so i love what you're trying to do and in, in, in your organization is getting people used to change and thrive in change
0: yeah yeah very very much so i mean and and it isn't uh oh i've got that now i'm done yeah exactly. <laughs> you know? Oh, i went to the course i did that piece <laughs> cool <laughs> you know um it is the life we're now living the world we're now living in but yes. I, I do want to uh, give our <laughs> listeners the opportunity to they're excited they want to learn more about you there's so much content out there mm-hmm. from you where would you recommend they start which book which piece which area do you think would be a great on-ramp to learn more about your mindset your thinking your uh, teachings and and work antonio
1: Well, I I like my first book was the focused organization. I realized that focused organizations where there's clarity on the top uh, are happier companies. People are happy to work in a company where people know what's the strategy, what are the one or two things they need to do. Even if you work for Ryanair, uh, where you don't really care about the customers, it's about efficiency. People are happy to work because they know that it's about something very clear. Uh, So, and then it translates to yourself. How can you become more focused Uh, knowing that nature tends to unfocus us so that was is a good start and 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 i would recommend my new book with harvard is trying to reinvent project manage make it accessible for everybody Uh, it's coming out in september i think but it's a very simple hands-on seniorly project managers who better in the projects so for that we need to wait a little bit but uh, i just yeah uh, i would recommend to uh, of course you will see something new in each of my books, but this one I really work hard with Harvard to do something that is practical and 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 actual, so that we can use it right now.
0: I, I think that's lovely, and the, the fact the the first one, the focused organization you know doing something for the first time is hard well, right? yeah. and a book yeah. anyone who's always. done a book or in a project or those yeah. sorts of things the first one's hard so it's always going to have a special relationship exactly and know. you know um it's like all artwork it's never complete it's just abandoned you know like at the... some point we have to go ah, yeah, well. that's got to get out we got to ship <laughs> it and i look forward to your your book in september of reimagining reimagining project management and i think uh, many organizations will benefit and continue to benefit from from your work. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today, Antonio um, from a selfish perspective It's why I started the podcast to meet great people, have amazing conversations and uh, to learn about the thinking and just have this conversational jazz is my happy place. so I really want to thank you for indulging me in that and I hope some of our listeners have, have gained some insights, got some questions and maybe can move forward to a tomorrow where the uncertainty excites them, not the love uncertainty it. scares them. So thank you. I love
1: it. Thank you, Rosa. I truly enjoyed the conversation. I love this type of uh, sessions where you can go forever and I'm sure we'll not get bored. So thank you for the opportunity.
0: Pleasure. Do you have the level of adaptability to survive and thrive the rapid changes ahead? Has your resilience got more comeback than a yo-yo? Do you have the ability to unlearn in order to reskill, upskill and break through? Find out today and uncover your adaptability profile and score, your AQ. Visit aqai.io to gain your personalised report across 15 scientifically validated dimensions of adaptability. For a limited time, enter code PODCAST65. For a complimentary AQME assessment. AQAI: Transforming the Way People, Teams and Organisations Navigate Change. Thank you for listening to this episode of Decoding AQ. Please make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast directory, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Please do leave a review and be sure to tune in next time for more insights from our amazing guests.